You're listening to Irish Radio Canada at Home and Abroad, and I recently had the opportunity to sit down with Danny Kearns from Inchicore in Dublin. Danny celebrated his 92nd birthday in March and has been in Canada for now a number of years. Uh, he has an interesting story, and I was honoured to be able to sit with him at the Irish Club in Mississauga. There's a little bit of background noise during the interview, but hopefully everything comes out clearly enough. And uh, I now would share with you here on Irish Radio Canada my chat with Danny Kearns. You know, we were we were reminiscing there briefly before we, we started chatting about, you know, the, the liberty is the salt of the earth, the people are the salt of the earth. Well, yeah, well, we didn't think, we didn't particularly think so, because uh, when you mention the liberties, you, say, you straight away bring back to me a family we had in Inchicore, uh, there was a bit, of, a bit of a problem, and it was to do with somebody that had relations in the liberty, and to sort the problem that we had, they sent out some of the enforcers, oh. we call it, that would be a modern day. Right. In those days, we used to call them the animal band. Right. And they actually came from the Liberties. And uh, when you mentioned the Liberties, I straight away, I remember caravans, or as I say caravans, lions of horse and carts coming up Emmet Road with people in there that were going to knock the shit out of this fella that was, uh, that was in trouble in Golden Bridge, and Golden Bridge was, was in Chicago. But that was my first uh, experience with the Liberties, the name the Liberties, was the animal. Now, I don't know if you've ever heard it. No, I didn't, I didn't, run, a, I didn't run a foul of them. Well, I'll tell you, they didn't kill anybody, but by Jesus, you sometimes be, be better off if you'd have been dead because they kicked the shit out of you. When, when people mentioned Termainham, you, you, I, I don't know what you conjure up in them. I think the most people conjure up the problems of 1916 when you mentioned Kamena. Uh, now, when I was a kid, cause we lived in Muddy's Lane, which was in the back of, of the jail, and we played in, in Kamena Jail, and it, it was no fun playing there. We, we played there because of one of our, our buddies, his father had the key to get in, and we used to get in there, and we'd play in it, play around the jail. And if you went too high up there, you'd fall through the roof because the pigeon shit was all over the floor in the jail. The pigeons used to nest up there, yeah. like in the jail. When are we talking? Like when were you born, uh, Well, I, I was born... When I was going around the jail, I'd be talking about... Because we hadn't moved the Kremlin at this time. So I'd have been about six or seven years of age at this time. So I'd have been talking about 1935, 36, 37... And when you mention Kilmainham, of course, and you do mention relative to the incidents of, of the Rising, and it was relatively recent history in 1935 and so to 1940. Well, when you mention Kilmainham jail, when you mention Kilmainham, you just thought of the jail. You didn't think about that. Even though we did have a library in Kilmainham there, we had uh, some stores and that kind of stuff. But when you mention Kilmainham, you just thought of the jail. Right. Yeah. And as I say, as kids, we used to play in the jail. Yeah, yeah. And then, of course, the hospitals across the road are just right the, the hospital. Well, the, the hospital never came into it because yeah. the hospital was close to Rialto. That whole area had money, not a lot, because of Guinnesses. No, no. We were out of the, out of the circle for the Guinnesses. Right. Guinnesses, a lot of people were carried away with Guinnesses. But Guinnesses looked after Guinnesses people. Yeah. Guinnesses. Later in life, I bought some shares in Guinnesses. I didn't realize it. Like, Guinnesses paid their taxes to England. Guinnesses were looked after Guinnesses, Guinnesses people. Yes. And most of the Guinnesses people were 
not necessarily up in Chicago. That was in Chicago workshop that was in Chicago. Right. That was that was CIE, wasn't it? CIE it became, yes. But it was in Chicago works in those days. And it was in Chicago works incidentally that uh, re- uh, refurbished Telmenum Jail. The workers from Inchicore Wolves gave their time voluntarily to refurbish it to men in jail. When you were growing up then, you grew up in the Inchicore area, you moved out to Crumlin? Or we got, yeah, we got, a, we got, we lived in Murray's Land in, in Inchicore, which was before you went up there, down the hill to, to Kalmanum. So as I said, everything we came out with Kalmanum was, we always thought of Kalmanum, just the jail. But the Kalmanum, the Kalmanum area uh, was between Murray's Lane and uh, the main one that led down to the park. You know, that's where it started. Right. That's where you had the hospitals, the uh, Royal Hospital. That's right, the Royal Hospital there, yeah. Hospital. The test of my memory now, because I'm 92 now, you know. Right. <laughs> so I've been, in around, I've been around the grounds of the Royal Hospital, and it was oh, yeah, phenomenal, yeah. because that was built, I think that was after the Napoleonic War or something, and it was built as a veterans' hospital way before there were veterans' hospitals built anywhere. Well, we never would have seen the inside of that. We never, we never were out through the gate of that place. Yes. Yeah. That's a place that we passed because it started there and that went down the John's Road. John's yeah. What they, can they call it the John's Road? It was the John's Road, I remember that, yeah. You remember that? Yeah. I do, because, well, we had customers coming in from that whole area up around there. The Stevens' yeah. Hospital. Yeah, that's right. Down that way. Yeah. 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 Um, so, when you moved out to Cromwell, what age would you, would you have been well, then? I know exactly what age I was. I was nine years of age. So, you had to change schools? I did, indeed. I had to go to... Well, no, when you, when you say change schools, no. I was going to the other schools. Right. So, I didn't change schools. Okay. Uh, also, the Moran Road School wasn't built in those days. It was on, on the blackboard, I guess, but it wasn't... Built, uh, it was just one road, no school, no church, nothing like that in those days. So we carried on going to, we went to uh, the other school. And that was that was a national, and did it go on to a secondary as well? It was a national school, and it was uh, it was never, I, I can tell you now, uh, something about that school that you would find hard to believe. I went there nine years of age, and at ten years of age, ten or eleven years of age, I stopped going there. I went nowhere. I, I never went to school the last two years of my life. And that was because I went Mitchum one day with a, with a kid from Galtimore Road. In New oh, Virginia. In Virginia. Yeah. He said, Dan, I'm not going to school today. He said, let's go on the chair, we call it. Okay. Go on the chair. So we went on the chair. And I'd never been on the chair in my life. Because my father had killed me, you know. He heard about that. But anyway, we didn't go. And then the following day, he went back to school. And I didn't, because I was frightened. I was... Um, I can uh, believe it. I can believe uh, yeah. Because I knew that it was going to be... Six. Where were you yesterday? Well, first of all, I knew the teacher was going to be six and six. Both sides of the hand, right? And I knew the teacher was a fellow called Ren. He was a big man. And I knew it was going to hurt. And I was actually frightened. But I was also frightened of my father finding out that I'd be midget because my father would be worse than the teacher. So I decided not to go to school on my own. Gernon, I, I, uh, Cronin. Christy Cronin was the name of the other kid. But Christy Cronin, Jesus, I remember that. Anyway, he went to school all right, but I never went to school. And now I got from back to worse because now I was nearly a week out of school. I know I was nearly two weeks out of school. Yeah. So I decided a plan. This is true. I wrote to the school and assigned my mother's name and I left school and I told the school that I was going to a different district because we were moving to Cromwell 
and I was coming to go into a new school when they built it and whatever reason I used and I left the school and nobody ever came after me no one came and no. nobody ever disputed it and I never went to school for two years oh. and I mixed every day and I had a tree that I used to that I used to sit in that was in an orchard near the Torrid Rock it was very near the Kilwood Kilwood Road it was called Kilwood Road ended there at the canal I had my apples and I used to have the school bag with me and I'd read the same old book over and over again. I'd done that for two years. It wasn't pleasant, but that was absolutely and totally fright because I liked school, I liked to learn, but I was just frightened. So Danny, like, what's your father doing? My father was a labourer. Right. Who could do anything. I've never known to walk. Well, it was never a job. He was on the labour most of his life. Right. He worked for six weeks a year, I think it was, uh, with the government. Okay. Putting roads down. But we had, and I even remember that my mother was 30 shillings a week coming in from my father on the lane. Sometimes he made a few shillings on the side, done some garden for somebody or something like that. Yeah. Never had a constant job, never. Yeah. And uh, dad had two siblings? Oh, yeah. I ended up one of nine that was historians. But the reason I'm asking that is how you can get away with Mitchin from school for two years and uh, your sibling your siblings must have known. And no and it didn't filter back to the mother or the father. No, no, it didn't. Don't forget I was the eldest. Okay. And they didn't know I was Mitchin. No, they didn't know. Okay. No no I, I I I tell this story to a lot of people. Well not a lot of people were talking about it. People said it couldn't happen. It couldn't happen. And I agree, it should never have happened, but it happened. I never went to school, I never got a leaving cert, I got nothing. Right. I never had a paper from school. I don't know what the last two years of school were like. It was never there, yeah. because I had left, and left the neighborhood. Yeah. And that was accepted by the authorities. I wrote my mother, I wrote a letter. So then, when the two years was up, and you were able to legitimise yourself and come in oh well there's a state there's a tale to that there's a tale to that you weren't here oh yeah, yeah. That, that hadn't finished there because right. by now at the end close to the end of the second year I was almost 14 then don't forget when I started I was just going on 12 okay I was almost 14 now with the new school in Moore Road okay and that was opening up I think of in the February or something of the of my four, my 14th year. Okay. I was 14 in March. I'd be leaving school at 14. So I went to the new school myself. And I enlisted in the new school, which was permissible. Right. It was right beside where I lived in Spedding Road. And I spent a half a day in that new school. Okay. And then I went mixing again. Why? I just was I used to being out. And okay. it didn't matter. It didn't really matter to anybody. Except that the teacher sent home looking for me. Right. I was caught after a half a day in a new school. <laughs> now what happened when I went home? <laughs> now when I went home, I had to face the father. Right. Because the father now knew that I missed the new school. He never knew that I missed school for two years until I got married, I told him. I was married when I told him that I missed his school. <laughs> Between then, if you haven't left school at 14, so you were then job hunting, or would you, you would have been so much as told, or you better do something with yourself. I did, actually. I went down, I went down, you got a job down in Crow Street. Crow Street, you know where Crow Street is? I vaguely, it's... It's, it's a, if you pass George's Street, uh, it would be the first, almost facing George's Street. Right. It's Crow Street. 
And I went down there and I got myself a little job there making hairpins. Right. And I used to load the wire in and yeah. crimp the wire and make hairpins. And, and I used to paint them back. And then I became a blobber, taking the blobs off of the hairpins. After the paint rolled down, it became blobs. And I had eight shillings a week, I used to do. And we used to go home in the same clothes that we'd done the painting with. And I was full of varnished paint on the clothes when I went home. But after a while, it became solid, so it was like a protection. I know, I know there was a health and safety officer <laughs> floating around somewhere. So you, you So keep going. <laughs> but, uh, so I, I had that, that job, but he had a couple of little parties, and I used to be taken up to the different parties when they needed somebody to help out. And I, I used to get a attention as a week there, which I gave everything I got from my mother. I'm sure. Every, every penny I got. She gave me back my, she gave me back my pocket money. So you've been the eldest then. There was an expert. Well, I, I know she would have been glad of the money coming in. So were the others were they? Were, they, they didn't oh, yeah, match. They, they all went to school. Oh, they all went to school. They were all educated. Yeah. Well, we're educated. We went to school. None of us went to school to learn. We went to school because we had to go. To I know. School. It was something that you had to do. We went to school. But most most of my day, my brothers and sisters. Most of the time, they were so scared of school, and they were so uh, afraid. It was a terrible, terrible time. People talk about great old Irish, great old Irish. They were all the fucking nonsense. It was a terrible time. How long then did you spend making the hair clips? Oh, probably, oh, I think only about six months or so, I'm not sure, about six months. Well, I actually almost shot my finger off because I was, okay. was cutting the hairpins and I could have been actually. Right. I still have to keep it in. But uh, now that was the end of it. I got a job with uh, friends of the family from my past, the bootmakers in Rialto. And I got a job as a bootmaker, I'm going to say a bootmaker, to work in a boot shop, booting shoes. So my job was polishing the shoes, painting the shoes, and doing did a job. But eventually I was going to be a, a shoemaker. Uh, if you like, you know, it's a little tried. Yeah. It's a good one. And uh, I worked there for probably about a year. Okay. And then I got a chance of a job. Uh, a friend of mine came up one night to, to our house and he told me that he could get me a job with him in the Bell Foundry in James Street. Have you ever heard of it? Yeah, well, and you, you mentioned earlier on as well. I'm not sure where in James Street it was. As far as I know, it, it, it was one of the... I, I, Hammond Lane Foundry was there. I remember Hammond Lane. But Hammond Lane Foundry, I think, owned the Bell, owned the Bell Foundry. Right. They had a, it was a subsidiary. But I think the Bell Foundry was original before the Hammond Lane came over. Right. It goes back, uh, I'm not sure if it's origin, but that's where the bells were made. So there was a special craft there. But when I went, I, my friend got me a job in there, but I didn't, I was in the, working in the Bell Foundry. That's what it was called. But I worked in the machine shop, so I had a chance. It was a messenger bar, machine shop, and uh, it was different to me for me in the beginning because I was carrying what they call instanter fittings, couplings that were manufactured in there, like the caps and all that kind of stuff, brassware and all that kind of manufactured. But my job—I was only a kid, I was only yeah. fourteen years of age, fourteen yeah. and a half. 
I was on the messenger boy bike. Yeah. And they had a bloody big basket in there. Right? And you remember that? <laughs> I do. Do you remember that? I do. And the ones you had, there was two arms in the front that you dropped down so as the bike would balance. So my, there you are. And the big basket in but front. Like, there you are. So I, that was my job. And, uh, and I was, because I was a messenger boy. Right. And that's how you started. You eventually made your way in the machine shop and you learned things. But as a messenger boy, uh, the stuff was too heavy for me just to lift me up out the saddle because yeah. it was too heavy. Uh, so we had, we had to be careful how much we put in. But I used to drive down, I drove down, for instance, uh, rather funny. You know where the mail, the mail office was? Dublin Castle, you know the hill there? Oh, down the cobblestones. Well, I'm driving down there on my first day. Yeah. And I have there. Uh, I look down the cobblestones, I'm driving down there and I had to stop. Because they're putting these new traffic lights at the time. They were new in those days, you know. And of course, I stopped on the bike, and the bike went down, and I just, my mother gave me, got me a new pair of trousers, and of course, the saddle caught the trousers, and I ended up, I ended up really scared because I left the trousers off. <laughs> And I didn't know what to do. But I could do. But that was so. I had to, when I got, I had to get delivered me stuff. I think I had to deliver the Brutes Thomases. All right. They call yeah, them, yeah. Thomas's. Yes. And uh, I delivered me stuff. All the lads laughing at me. Get me me pants all torn. <laughs> but I remember coming back to my new job, and the girls had to sew me up. You know. So, so that, that's what I was, that's where I started. And then, and then you got into the shoes. And then I got. That was the shoes before or after that? Oh no, the, the shoes were first. Okay, and then into yeah, the foundry. Into the foundry. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but then I, I I was promoted into the machine shop where I done little jobs in the machine shop. And I ended up going in the machine, and I ended up uh, manufacturing nuts. See, what I'm hearing then is that, you know, and, and you and I both know this, that you're, you're talking about a time when there was manufacturing industry going on in Dublin at various levels where you had the bells, you had the nuts, the bolts, and it, there were shoes. Because I remember when, um, it's not that long ago, well it is and it isn't, there was marches going down Capel Street complaining about the shutting down of the shoe factories yeah. because of imports. Because there were shoes manufactured, there were, that's right, that's and then the whole rag trade was down there around uh, the South Circular. Yeah, um, there was a whole lot of. That's right. I, yeah, I know. I know. Yeah, these things did happen. Too. Yeah, but I, I, I ended up making good money there in that place because I'm going back to uh, what? What the hell? Would, how old would I be? That was 1945, 44, 45. <laughs> I was earning five pounds a week on Facebook. Five pound a week was huge money. Yes. My father only still only made it thirty shillings a week from the labour exchange. My mother loved me. She used to give me that. When I got when I got home at night and I got my dinner I was king of the castle. But I'm telling you, I loved giving me the money. I still used to get she used to give me a bit more than shit in those days. Yeah. Pocket money. But I still most of my money went to my mother, yeah. Right. You know, that's just the way it was. There was no animosity there. So after the, the foundry, then at what? Where did you go from there? Uh, well, when I became twenty-one, they let me go because he brought a new rule in. The, the manager brought a new rule in there. Then he had his reasons for it. Uh, he decided to let us go when he was about twenty-one. 
Money when it became 21, he brought on a younger person. You say the money, because my money now went from fixed £3.50 to £3.10 a week, yeah. regular wages, to £7.10 a week. Okay. So this was his excuse for getting rid of... This was a, this was his excuse for, for letting us go. Right. He let me go. Anyway, uh, so now you're 21 and you're rudder, rudderless. Rudderless, yeah. But I'm now going with a girl and I'm hoping to get married someday. And then we broke off. Yeah, me and I grew up again all that kind of shit. But I do went to England. And I was with cat's whiskers when I went to England because I thought I knew it all. And uh, I got a job in the machine shop in England straight away. What no problem. But I suddenly realized that I didn't know anything. That I was very, very illiterate on machine shop. So a machine shop uh, engineer. Far from though in Ireland, they called me an engineer, machine engineer. I, yeah. I, I didn't know. I didn't know how to read a drawing. I didn't know what a caliper was. I didn't know what a micrometer was. I didn't know anything. I didn't realize that I didn't know any of this stuff. I was, uh, I was so ignorant of machine shop. So I went to school. I went to school in the evenings and I started working in London City and Gales. It was a four-year course. It took me seven years to get through. But that's a, that, I stuck it out. And, Good for you. And I got, I got my London City and Gales. Yeah. And the London City and Gales, the moment I got the London City and Gales, and as it was, I only got the London City and Gales intermediate Okay. And the reason I only got that was, and it happened, Megan, know that now. I couldn't do drawing fast enough. I could do the drawings. I knew all about drawings, but it carried forty percent of the mark. Was on time. The drawing was the biggest percentage of the mark. Okay. Doing drawings. Right. I could do all the drawings. I knew all the drawings. Yeah. But I couldn't actually do them. Fast enough. Right, right. So I used to fail on drawings every time. Not that I didn't know them. I, I know. just couldn't do them quick enough. Yeah. With the result, I only got the intermediate city. Yeah, because right. still was, I never told them anything. It's only intermediate. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, but it also took me seven years, and I was married then. Right? I was married then. So you were working during the day, <laughs> studying at night. Three nights a week. Yeah. And I studied all day Saturday for seven years. Had you any kids? Just, uh, we, yeah, we had one child. We adopted a boy. Yeah, you, life was busy. Oh, hectic. Yeah, yeah. And where in England were you then? In London, right around right. there. Yeah. Right. And I was, I was, I probably should mention it. When I got to England, I couldn't believe how nice the English people were. Cause yeah. We had been brought up. We'd been brought up to hate the English. I know. We'd been brought up. It's incredible. Yeah. Like we were, we used to have a half hour every week, every day with a half hour. Big O'Connor was a teacher. For a half hour every day, he told us what was wrong with England. Yeah. So I hated the English. I hated it. When I got there, I couldn't believe how nice the people were. Yeah. I mean, well, I was receiving. Did you miss home at that stage? I can't say I missed home. I was too busy to do anything to miss yeah. home. Now, when you say this home, I had a homesickness that was unbelievable, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I was extremely homesick. But then I had left my, I wasn't married then, and I left my wife being at home. So I missed her 
so I'm sure of this, and I missed, yeah. I missed a lot of her. So, but, uh, but when she came to England and she did and she ended up getting married, yeah. I never thought of anybody else Right. I, I always crave to go back someday, successful. So, how long did you stay in England then? I was in England until we had our son in England. And when we had our son in England, I didn't want him to go up in England without his Irish grandparents. So I made it my business to get a job back at Ireland. Alright, okay. And I got myself a job in Galway. Nice. There was a new factory opening. It was opening in Baldonna. Okay. It was called Potes. And they want, I wanted to live and work in Potes machine shop. I had now, by the way, advanced to the fact that I was now an industrial engineer, an industrial engineer by profession. Right. So I wasn't doing machining, but I was doing all I was doing. Have to make money, just an engineer. And uh, I wrote to them for a job in Baradona because I wanted to be Baradona, brand new factory in yeah. I wrote to them and they told me they would give me a job, no, they're a production engineer, on condition that I went to Galway and, and operated, got the machine shop going in Galway. Okay. Because they had a brand new machine shop, but he didn't know how to run it. So they wanted me to get it going. Buy machinists and articles, which I did. I went there and I suddenly found big problems with the machine shop there in Galway, uh, which I worked on. Uh, I don't know where that matters. You never up there. Big problems. They had bought among machines and right. what they do. They spent a lot of the Irish money, and I actually got in touch with the Irish government. I tried to get the Irish government to back off of Baradonald because they had totally screwed up in Galway. They had spent a lot of Irish money, I found it was just millions, and it was a waste because I didn't me knew that the machines they ordered, what they would, so they sent me to England to find out what happened to me, I found out BSA in England, so I went and met the big people there. I said, what the hell is going on there? What did you do there? They said, Danny, this is what happened. They sent us a drawing. They said, we want to make this. What do I need? What machine? Huh? We get the machine. And then next month, they sent another drawing. Another. They were sending the same machine to do the job. So I was getting 10 machines to do 10 jobs that could have been done on one, one machine. machine. So this was the kind of problems that we had there. Right. So I realized... And then I also found out after that, because I went down to see Baldona, and I knew Baldona was never going to open. And I was right. I don't know if you know anything about Baldona. Other than that, it's where the government jet goes in and out of its air forces based down there. Baldona has a factory built on it, on that area. A factory full of machines that never turned a screw, never turned over. What year are we talking I'm talking about about 1954. Okay. Yeah. Come back a step. Where were you during the war? I was in Michigan. 39 to 44? Yeah, but 39 to 39. At 39, I was 9 when we moved. Yeah. 44 was when I left. So I was schooling. I was in school, but I was in Michigan for two years. And were you aware or would, that there was a world war going on? Oh, yeah. We were, as, as an Irish kid, I was. Yeah. yeah. Were you affected? Because I know my dad used to send turf up to Dublin. And I know that I found ration books and I found a variety of other things. Yeah. Were you affected by rationing? Oh, yeah, we had rationing. But we, our problem wasn't rationing. Our problem was money. 
Right. They didn't have money. So we never had too much money. That matter. The money that we had would only have bought ration anyway. So we were self-governed by the fact that we didn't have the money. The people that suffered with rationing were people that had more money than they... Than if you can only afford it. Like when I went shopping, I don't want to change the subject, but when I went, because I got most of the shop from them, when I went in, we bought two ounces of water. Two ounces. We bought the minimum of everything. But it wasn't to us, that was all we could afford. I mean, we had the... We used to have, when I was in Murray's Lane in Chicago, we had a, Vincent St. Paul came every second week, I think it was, right, right. every week. Right. And they give us a voucher. This is for a rescue. And they came, they came, and they would give you a voucher for six shillings. But that six shillings had to be spent in a particular shop. And it was, it was usually you were getting an inferior product double the price but we still need that, need that, that money so let's go back so you were down in Galway um, how long did you spend down there? I spent about two years there right. two years yeah maybe two years yeah. yeah I got in touch with Jack Lynch that was the Prime Minister at the time I wrote to Jack Lynch and he put me on to a, a local MP and I got in touch with MP I think his name was Kindergarten or something like that Got uh, Cabinet I'm not sure about the, his name, but I got in touch with the local MP at that time, and I explained to him what was wrong, and I said to him, you're spending money in Valdana. You better get somebody in that knows what's about me. I was very patriotic. I, one of the reasons I went back was I loved my Ireland, of all else. Yeah. And, uh, like, we were, we were being shafted. Right. Because they, they sent this guy over. They sent the owner of that company over to see me in Ireland. His name was Popeyes. He was the owner. Right. Yeah. He came over. They couldn't, they couldn't believe it. He came over to see me. And when he saw what I had, what I'd done, he fired that guy. Get rid of him. Get, get me. Get rid of him. He was so out of it. He didn't even know what I was talking about. So the best way was get rid of me. I was causing too much trouble. They, they didn't get rid of me. I left on my own accord. Yeah. I left because I could see no future in Baldonnell and that's what was my initial purpose was to go to Baldonnell because right. I was in Dublin and that's why I left, I left and went over there and back to England again. But when I was in Galway, in that factory, the general foreman on the uh, big talk, he'd just come back from Canada and I talked so much about, about Canada, about how great it was and that and the other, but he'd come back because his wife was homesick. I thought, well, I can try Canada now. So I actually came to Canada. And what year are we talking now? I came to Canada, yeah, 1965. Exactly. 20th of April of 1965. I think the big migration started in 1956, so I wasn't here for that. Like then, they didn't take anybody over. But yeah. when I came over, I came over here as a machinist, as a dummy engineer. Then I walked, the minute I got over, they put me into a factory. And I hadn't been on a machine for years by this time, but. I had to prove it. I could do the job, yeah. so, but I didn't particularly like it. So within about two or three days, I just decided. Uh, so I left and I went I went to the airport and I worked for a company in the airport. Okay. The aircraft. I went to uh, Douglas Aircraft. Yeah. I had a good job there. Like I started up with a good job. But I wasn't getting the top money. And I now was in a position where I was able to demand the top money. So I got in touch with Folds. And I went in to see them. And anywhere I ever went for a job, because of my London intermediate Sydney girls, yeah. the moment I said I had the Sydney girls, 
And that was Ford's out in Oakville, was it? Ford's in Oakville, yeah. And yeah. my wife, my wife died, you know, she died from cancer. And Ford wanted to send her to the Mayo Clinic, but she died of pancreatic cancer. 38, this is me and my son, Nick, in those days. They wanted to send her to the Mayo Clinic, but she had pancreatic cancer. Yeah. So I left Ford's and came back with her to Dublin. She right. died, she died in Dublin. And when was, what year are we talking? Died in 1973. Okay. Not 73, yes. 1968. 68, okay. We came back, we came back here in 73, because I went back home and stayed a couple of years and then I went back to England. Anywhere I went back to, when I was got my job back, I never yeah. No problem. Any time I was in trouble, I got any, any job, I got which, which was, was pleasant. The rest of the family then, the siblings, did they all stay in Ireland or did they scatter? No, most of them went to England. Right. Most of the family went to England. Uh, I'm trying to think, uh, my brother Michael Stern, and second, second youngest. Pretty well everybody else came here. And did anyone else come to Canada? No, no. So what brought you back to Canada then? I loved it when I got here. I loved, I loved the way I life. I loved it. I loved it. People going out for dinner every Friday night. All of a sudden, uh, there's more to life than just walking. Uh, people were there every Friday evening. People were going to eat out. We never ate out at home. We never ate out at home. There was nowhere to eat. Well, I remember there was the chipper there on, on, on James's Street. I remember that chipper was there when I was up there. But there, there was only a few chippers. It was, um, there was a famous chipper in Marlborough Street, the Machios, beside the cathedral. The chippers were all the Italians. One, one of my favorite things I thought of was, if I was going to talk about anybody else, I was going to talk about my Aunt Maggie, she was a mission chipper. Right. In Chicago. And she was so good to us. She was Italian, of course. Yeah. Italian. But uh, she was good. Some of my inspirations came from her. She was a good. I remember her boring her foot. She, she, she put oil in her oil, but I yeah. her foot. And I remember that as a child, I loved her so much. She used to feed me. Honestly, that's human nature. Some of your fees and you like. That's right. But uh, I remember I put that fire, I put up to the fire. And, and I remember that to this day. And when you get a bad bone, you put a toast to the heat. I had secured it. That was the other thing I remember hearing recently, actually, it was the Italians introduced vegetable oil into Ireland for the chippers. Yeah. yeah. I wouldn't be surprised. But anyway, they, 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 I was talking about the Italians. One of the reasons that she loved me, well, she loved, she loved hard kids, she was a little one. But her son, you've probably never heard of him, and I don't even know if he's still alive, he might be. His name was, he was Ireland's wonder boy accordionist. Have you ever heard of that? What was his name? His name was Ernesto Verrecchia. I didn't. You could, Ernesto Verrecchia. He used to do shows, of course, at Royal Theatre Royal, yeah, yeah. Olympia, etc., etc. 
and there was a, a show on the Olympia, uh, the great venue, bamboozling, the magicians. Ernesto, Ernie, my, my buddy, he went off with bamboozling's daughter. Okay. Right, the, uh, now the whole, uh, the whole show went to New Zealand and never came back. Okay. So he, he would have been number one in, in New Zealand as well. But he was number one in Ireland. He was seven years of age. They used to build him at six, but he was seven. But they were cheap. The youngest, but he wasn't the youngest. Apparently somebody, somebody in North Carolina was put But this kid, and the reason his mother loved me, I used to help him with his music. And I couldn't even come in read But I knew every note that he was going to play. Every note. And he used to play a thing called Classics. Classics. And I knew the notes he was going to play. And I would, that's any wrong note. And he could Potent peasant, potent peasant. Okay. You ever heard of potent peasant? No. Classical music. Well, you can check it out. Yeah. Theatre Royal, Ernesto Varela, Dublin's Wonder Boy Accordions. Right. Anyway, like most of my kid, my time was spent with him at music. But I never learned music. I never thought. I loved to learn. I would love to have I could play it. In my mind, I could play it. So when you came back the second time, or when you came back in the 70s here then, back to work, and back to, re- to, to the Canadian lifestyle, without, and on your own, with the... Well, it, was, it wasn't the same, but yeah. everything had changed, but no, I still love Canada. I, I, I still love Canada. I, yeah. I was, should I say, should I say, I was disappointed in Ireland. Like, my love, my, my passion was always to go back home and be successful back in Dublin. Uh, but my, my images of Dublin failed. But I think, is that not partially, I think we're all, like I suppose we're all spoiled when we get to see a different lifestyle, and particularly because the Canadian lifestyle is, it's different. It's, it, it, it offers so many different opportunities that I could never do what I do here. I could never do it in Ireland, even still. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know what it was, uh, but the glamour faded with me yeah. with Ireland. Like, I would never, I'd never go back to uh, Ireland again. Yeah. But you'd visit? Uh, I'd visit. I, I'd, well, I'd visit. I wouldn't be in a hurry to visit it now. Okay. I, I, I went to, to the Mayo recently, a couple of years ago, three years ago, and played golf there, and I'd love to do that again. Yeah. I, I, I loved it. I, I loved playing golf in Ireland. And I love a lot of things about it. I like I love Brayhead, I love I love Dublin. You know. No, you mentioned playing golf in Mayo. I know you didn't learn to play golf in Inchicore or in Crumlin. No, that would have been over here. I, I, we had a crowd. I'll, t- I'll tell you, we had a crowd over here uh, that wanted to go Ireland, and we went back to Port Manus. Yeah, we played Port Manus. We, we all went back to Ireland, and they picked me as a representative of their Canadian friends. So I went to down to talk to the starter and this, that, and the other. And yeah. when I got there, the guy in charge of that, it was quite a little guy, but he, he had the audience hardly. And his first comment to me was, have you ever been here before? Now, I've been in Port Manning since we were knee-high to a grasshopper. We used to play and we used to go out there and come home at night from Port Manor tired and crying and hungry. So I knew Port Manor well. I had never been in Godfrey. So I so he said, Have you ever been here before? I said, Well the last time I was here I was robbing the place. 
he wasn't too happy with us. We used to go over to the and try and find some golf balls. Yes. We used to go over to the dunes. So I was actually rather. So I was just told you three. But it didn't, it didn't happen. He wasn't happy. Right. So that, that was me and Dublin. I played Port Marnock and I played it nostalgically because it was Port Marnock and it was a great course and I wanted to be at Port Marnock. Where, where did you learn to play golf here? You started playing here in Canada, did you? I started playing golf in England. Okay. And, uh, I, did, I didn't play very well, but then no few days when I started. And you're still playing? But I remember, oh yeah, I, I still play. I still play. Right now, I'm right now. I'm done with John Dolly. I had a heart attack 20 weeks ago. Okay. So that stopped me from playing golf. Otherwise, okay. I'd be up playing this today. So no, no, I still play golf. Golf is my passion. It's my passion. And based on the doctors telling you, when do you think you'll be able to get back out there? Uh, I, I know. I don't care about what the doctors. So I'll be out there. As soon as I'm thinking of what you do, I'd say August, September. Okay. Right. Oh, yeah. 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 But uh, John had said to me that when I'm talking to you, he said, you know, I want you to talk and mention some of your things. He said, but I find it. He, he, I think he told you about, uh, he told you about uh, the mail. When my, when my mother, I'll tell you straight, sorry about me. Right. My mother, we just loved my mother. My mother was smarter than my books. My father was much bigger than but she was the boss. And, uh, but that normal. That's normal. That's quite normal. <laughs> but uh, she was having, she had nine kids. And I guess if something things talk about religion now, I always uh, reject the church because I think the church was the reason that my mother died. But okay. the, the principles, but that, uh, these things happen. Uh, my, my mother eventually died from childbirth. On the ninth child, she died she gave birth and she died but she had been warned on the bed before which was five years earlier maybe 41 that she would die if she had another child because she hemorrhaged mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. just not the the only mm-hmm. thing could deal that it was that she'd abort a child when it was time this that and that but they didn't have a portion of it. So that so that that's it. So that when my when my mother died, right, uh, she knew she was gone to die. Mm-hmm. We didn't know that. But anyway, it was Christmas time and this is this is true. I was eleven years of age. So I had six five or six younger than me that I was looking after when they went out. And the tradition in our, in our home was Christmas night, they all played cards. Mm-hmm. They all played cards. Spoiled mm-hmm. 15 or 25. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you know those games. No 25. So, yeah, yeah. so they played that. And, and this Christmas night, she was playing cards, right? And she had went to labor. And she was stripped off the hospital, Holliston. You know Holliston. And I was at home looking after the other kids in the eldest of the I was 11 years of age of the eldest. And with that, did John tell you this tale? But this is his story. He said, You must tell him. That's what they're asking. So, come Fox morning, my mother's not home. 
But she could take me out and she was pretty familiar. She's on the stairs. She was having been there for about six weeks. She gave back and my brother no, but that was it. But I had to feed the kids for the week when he's there. And I had getting them by dinner. And I go, I think we are now in dinner. And I went to get the dinner, I got the potatoes out and I got the cabbage and I'm done and I'm the this, I do all that. And I got the meat. The meat, we've had the Christmas dinner meat. You know, within two days later, you know, at home you have like a lamb, you have like a corned beef. And we've had all of that. So I took out the leg of lamb, what was left of it, and we had it. And I put it up, and it was full of maggots. And it, I mean, the little fellas were mm-hmm, all mm-hmm, over it. Mm-hmm. And I cut the maggots off. Because on this side of the meat, it was okay. Mm-hmm. And I cooked that, the heating up, and we had our dinner. Mm-hmm. And I was telling this to John, we were that hungry, this mm-hmm. good, nobody ever thought. And he, John said to me, John said, nobody would do that, nobody would do that. But I don't know. Yeah, it was. And we, that's how bad things were, mm-hmm. we were that bad. Mm-hmm. But I didn't realize they were that bad. No. To me that made common sense. Get rid of the maggots. Yes, I know. Does, does, does that astound you? No, it doesn't, because... The reality I'm aware of is it's happening today, and it's not happening too far from us. I believe, like, you know, we think that because we're doing okay, there's people, I'm sure, in Toronto that are struggling to such an extent that if they came and went into the larder, that that's all that's there and that's feel that, no, I don't, like, I, I haven't lost sight that just because things might be good for me, they're not good for everybody. Well, we have, we have, we've come, we've come, I, I, I find that I have a believe, but would you think that that's still a that's still a Oh, I believe that's unfortunately, I be, and I believe it's, it's happening in Dublin, I'd say. I'd say it's happening, it's certainly happened in lots of parts of Canada, it's happened in the U.S., uh, but, probably. but the reason it happened in my day was because people couldn't get jobs. There was no but, work, there was no money. There's an awful lot of people now and they've no money. They haven't enough money. They can't, like, there's poverty is still there and it's horrendous. I'm shocked to hear that. See, we, we, we're all now, I think, better able to insulate ourselves from what we don't want to know about. That's a good point. That's a good point. I have because I said to this way Danny when you were struggling the people in Ratgar and Ratmines wouldn't have believed or Terenure wouldn't have believed things were no they would not and that is that is they would not have believed that, 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 you, that no. there was somebody within three miles of them that, that's was, right. that was cutting the maggots off that's, that's the same going on today wow. wow so you know the sad thing is everything changes and nothing changes well, that's, that's, yeah. But you think that that would be like that today? I, I, hate, in some places, I'm not saying it's all over the place, but do I believe that there are people who are struggling that bad, that hard, 
then life's that difficult for them. Yeah, I do. Unfortunately, I do. You see, we, like my my aunt used to come home every Friday night with a big bag from Jacobs. Yeah, from Jacobs. And she used to have broken biscuits. Yeah. You, you're saying yeah as though you, you, you yeah I know do I remember that people used to go and get the stuff from the factory the, the yeah yeah broken biscuits yeah like legitimately broken biscuits that's right for a fraction of the price yeah, and the same with the stale bread yeah that's true from Bolands and from that's right yeah the stu- right. to get the stale bread yeah there's one thing I was just telling you about we used to, my mother used to do, because she was very tricky and very, very cunning, very clever, very clever, and clever. She used to run clubs, getting back to Thomas Street. Mm-hmm. And this is why when you mentioned Thomas Street, my mother, we lived in Thomas Street, we didn't live there. Mm-hmm. Well, listen, we, every Saturday we went down to Thomas Street. And we went right from the beginning of Thomas Street. Right to St. Catherine's. Yeah. Because Frawley's was in the right That's place. right, yeah. Right? So if you don't have a, a club in Florence, you can yeah. a club where people pay a shilling a week. Yeah. There'll be 20 members. So we the club in Florence, we the club in Duffy's, which was down, down near Francis Street. Yeah. We had that, there was a shoe shop beside Duffy's. There was a shoe shop that Saxon or something like that. Right. And she used to have a shoe club. Yeah. She used to have a cosmetic club. The girls that would do that, they look after our, our skin. And all that kind of, and all used to go down and collect, and she had a money club. Okay. Where you could pay it, like 20 shillings a pound, which was a lot of money then. So you, you got a pound off of my mother, she gave you a pound, and you paid a shilling a week off it. Right. So you were able to pay it back in 20. So you didn't have to go to the money lender? No money lenders. But she got, she got one, you, you paid 21 shillings back. For the 20 shillings she gave you, you paid 21 back. But it went into the kitty. Yeah, but the kitty was hers. I know, right. She made a, she made one pound. Okay. She made a pound. But she ran 20 weeks of that to make one pound. Yeah. And if anybody didn't pay her, she lost it. So I was, it was my responsibility to make sure that they paid. And I used to have to make sure that when they drew the, the money, the ticket out, the, the number, whatever, the, the fifth number, which meant that they got that money in the fifth week, but they still had 15 weeks to go. I had yeah. to make sure they were picked out that fifth number was going to be able to pay the rest of the week, so I had to be careful. So I used to have to fit the numbers because I knew that I knew the, the occupants of yeah, the yeah. number. Yeah. And I knew that none of these if she got number one, you wouldn't fucking see her for <laughs> 19 weeks. You know? So. Yeah. <laughs> you have to be careful. So we used to do that with about five or six clubs. Yeah. And on top of that, we had a Christmas club, you know, where you, mm-hmm. where you got your. And the people, the people depended on that. I know that, I know. They didn't look up for Christmas. Yeah. We had a wine club where the people got 20 shillings to go to Gilby's. Yeah. I think it was called Gilby's. Yeah, I think, yeah. yeah up in Inchicore, facing the Oblates. Yeah. St. Michael's. Yeah. There was a wine shop there. Yeah. And, and but my mother used to do all those clubs for yeah. all those people because she was getting she got one bottle of wine there she right. got one bottle of this she got one hammer of the ham yeah. club we used to do a ham club yeah. go and buy a ham I know you save all year to buy a ham I know I know but that's what I mean like there's still people and they're operating from whatever money is coming in 
to the next day the money comes in and in between it's a, and, and that still happens. My, my uncle Jelly died, my uncle Jelly died he never would have died but he was the only tradesman in all of our family the only tradesman authentic, served his time in a place called Foxes then we saw the head of the bridge brass finishes so as a plumber mm-hmm. he put all the systems into probably every pub in Dublin all of the systems right he used to go around and do all the he used to weld uh, lead lead weld lead, lead joints yeah masterpiece right he was a masterpiece of weld he wouldn't say a thing out of his face but he was a friendship sir he used to he used to get my mother loved him he I tell you about him, only the only person we had. Always busy, always busy. And got paid on Friday night was broken now. Nothing, nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Every week of his life, he My mother used to have to loan him money yeah. out of her clothes and throwing him to get him to Friday night. This was done every week. His annual holidays, every year, consisted of the long weekend in August. He never went anywhere. He used to go to the pub. So it be the Friday before the August bank holiday, the Saturday, the Sunday, the bank holiday Monday, and then nothing for two weeks. Two weeks holiday. Yeah. Every year. And he never even left in Chicor. I know. Don't mind him. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, you look around like two years later, and people are going to Spain. Yeah. So the the changes were dramatic. They were dramatic. They were. They were. I remember when Joe Walsh tours started all day, the tours took one to Spain. Yeah. The fellow who flies airplanes now, what's his name? Uh, Ryan. Or, um, Ryan. Ryan Air. Yeah. Westmoreland Street. Uh, Michael O'Leary. But it was Ryan's, it was, it was uh, Ryanair, 1970, I think 1974. I remember, I think, when that was, he was starting off. That yeah, but he, I, think, I think originally he was a car, the car rental. Though, yeah. In Westmoreland Street. Yeah. Sorry, the Westmoreland Street station. So, yeah. <coughs> Danny, I hate to say this, but. I'm going to have to wrap up because we're gone. We've been chatting and having so much fun. We've run out of time for now, but we're going to have to have another chat someday because there's not. We've, we haven't even touched. We're only haven't touched half of what you have to tell me. But we, you and I are going to have to have a chat another day. Okay. I hope we can. Okay, awesome. We'll, we'll do that. Danny, Danny, Danny turns. It's been a real honour. It's been a pleasure. It's been great going down memory lane. It's been great revisiting Inchicore, the Liberties, uh, Kilmainham, and all those areas, and them coming to life. And thank you. You're welcome.